0: Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is Dr. Maria Haberfield. Uh, Dr. Haberfield, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Hi, uh, my name is uh, Maria Haberford, I also go by Maki. I'm a professor of police science, which surprises a lot of people when they think, "Are you a professor of political science. No, police science. Policing is a science at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. I um, have both practitioner experience. I was a lieutenant in the Israeli police. I worked with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration here in the United States. And then I became an academic and I studied policing and specialized in police training.
0: So I guess kind of just to to jump into thing, what from your experience, both as a law enforcement officer and from all the research you've done, what do you see currently some of the bigger problems in the United States with law enforcement?
1: Well, the word currently is not necessarily an adequate uh, depiction of what I see because I've been alerting people around me for at least two decades to to many, many problems in law enforcement that were never addressed until now. And even now, they're they're not addressed from the standpoint of uh, where they need to to be addressed so to be more specific over 20 years ago i I published my first book and i called it critical issues in police training and this is where i identified the lack of standards for recruitment for selection for for training especially in comparison to other democratic countries around the world But they look at this as a profession not some sort of a trade that can be um taught to people in uh, 10 weeks or 11 weeks when I was writing the book in, about 20 years ago, there were states that had 8 weeks of police academy like South Carolina and after 8 weeks people were given guns <laughs> and allowed to you know, it. to me it was shocking right um, and then over the years I've done uh, like 3 new additions to the book and I asked my publisher to leave the original text and just allow me to add um, what changed and and they asked me why. I said, because I want to show people how nobody's listening, because the changes were like maybe two paragraphs for each chapter. And, and it was shocking because the last uh, edition I did was like two years ago. Wow. So well, nothing, nothing changes. And now uh, we, we reached a boiling point, and everybody's talking about um, re envisioning, reimagining policing. A- and all these visionaries. 99% of them don't understand police profession
0: right? they
1: talk <laughs> they talk about things that make no sense whatsoever which makes me even sadder and and, and concerned because I know that it won't lead to any solution well,
0: I can speak on in New Jersey, um, I'm a retired police officer, my academy was about six months long um, and I know New Jersey typically has some of the higher standards in the country true, sure. it's um, true Uh, go back to May and stuff when a lot of people were talking about what it takes to become a police officer in the varying states I was trying to find a standard which Mm -hmm. you were talking about doesn't seem to exist Um, given my time as a law enforcement officer I I definitely believe that there are things that can be changed and approved upon and I think overall that would make for some pretty significant changes in a positive direction for law enforcement and the perception of law enforcement
1: Sure, but it doesn't start with training. Even though I'm a training person, I always say no matter how good the training, if it's given to the wrong person, you're not going to get the desired results. Agreed. So it has to start with recruitment and selection. Right. You cannot just recruit a person just because a person has a pulse, right? I mean, <laughs> it takes a little bit more. To me, policing, and this is something I you know, I dedicated my life to. And I always say I don't know much about anything, but I know quite a bit about policing it's one of the most complicated and complex professions out there. I
0: so agree. the fact
1: that somebody wants to be a police officer doesn't mean that they should be a police officer. Agreed. I might want to be a medical doctor. I just don't have it in me. I cannot, you know, I don't have it in me, not emotionally, not psychologically. So, so we continue to recruit people with criminal records. Right. We continue to recruit people who are very young and emotionally mature. We know now that people mature emotionally, psychologically, only in their late 20s. Why would we want to give guns and authority to take somebody's life to people who are barely teenagers? I mean, I'm saying, you know, yes, they're 20, 21, but this, in this case, this uh, cliche adage that age is just a number becomes very relevant. Age is just a number, 21 may be considered to, to be mature. You can buy liquor, but emotionally, you're a teenager. Agreed. And and so so talking about these changes in training again makes me very, you know, disillusioned with 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 the future because people really don't understand that that we this is this is stage number three, not stage number one. Right. And you said you're looking for models. So nationally, there aren't any. Although I would say that Texas has one of the better. Um, this is one of the better states. Uh, Dallas has like 36 weeks, I believe. So this is significant in comparison to West Virginia, that has 11 weeks. <laughs> the same profession, <laughs> um, but look for a model in Europe. Look in, in, you know, Finland is my model. For years, I've been watching their progress. i visited the academy. I spoke to the instructors. Finland, Norway, these are countries that exist, and they do have the right approach, and somehow we barely know where they're located on the map.
0: Do they happen Um, to have a a national police force, or is they... Yeah,
1: of course. That's the first thing I always said, we are too decentralized. Why New Jersey has like 500, over 500 police departments? Why do we need this? I mean, we need one police force. I'm not saying state police as, as we understand state police, just that applies to 500, which then would be able to elevate standards. I don't know where, where you are, police officer, but there are certain jurisdictions in New Jersey that they require a uh, residency, right? right? So if you're not a resident, what happens next? They reduce the standards. They lower the standards. Right. They have to recruit.
0: And that, that poses some issues as well that I've noticed. I believe it's some of the bigger cities in the metropolitan areas that require that.
1: Sure, um, like New York City. You have right. to live in New York I mean, you can live in like Rockland County. And so. But that's Profession should not be measured by where you live. Right. And 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 again, you're you're
0: minimizing your pool of potential good officers by requiring them to live because some people just can't afford to live in those areas.
1: Absolutely. And and you're lowering the standards as a consequence because if you need to fill the academy, you need to fill the academy.
0: Right. You
1: know. And uh, this is what I call policing. uh, You know, looking the other way, policing. You're looking the other way because you need to fill the academy. Ah. Don't fit exactly, but we push you through.
0: What does Dallas and, and Texas do differently than some of the other states that kind of puts them up? Kind of. Well, at the top? first of
1: all, the length. And I am the, the last person to say that that it's just about the length. But there are certain topics that need this length. You cannot teach people communication skills in two hours. <laughs> this is Agreed. and this is the major tool that police officers require and need on a daily basis. An average officer uses the, the, the gun twice, maybe three times in their career. They talk on a daily basis. This is what we need to focus on, communication skills, right? Agreed. You know, leadership training. The moment you leave the academy, the moment you, you wear your uniform, you're a leader. It's nothing to do with the rank. You, you're on the You need to achieve compliance. That's a leadership skill achieve compliance agreed uh, all these things are, are, are truly completely ignored in most police academies 70 percent of the time it's about use of force well yeah use of force is see it's a foundation of, of police profession but it has a lot of aspects because communication skills talk to the continuum right the, the right. first step on the continuum the communication
0: the um I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that we need to develop some ways that we can, I don't want to say streamline, but more effectively teach new officers how to maintain their composure, how to properly speak to people, how to be authoritative without coming off aggressive. Um, you know, it, it's there's a lot of nuance in, in communicating the, with people.
1: The aggressiveness is a function of lack of confidence, lack of maturity, right? But you know, I I taught police officers all over the country, all over the world, and it's so surprising to me how American police officers, as opposed to their counterparts in other areas of the world, they have issues presenting in class a PowerPoint. Forget, you know, (laughs) communicating effectively under stress and duress of the, the street situation. So it's an absolute skill that can be taught, and yet it's
0: Yeah. I, I was actually an instructor at the police Academy in the County where I live. Um, I was teaching the first responder block, but understanding how, what the process is and what goes in through being a recruit. Um, I, I firmly believe there's things that can be changed and should be changed. Um, I've, I've never been a big fan of at least what, and I'm only speaking about New Jersey. Um, what they do for defensive tactics you know I, as you brought up use of force is a big thing with law enforcement and I've always been a, more pro, a bigger proponent of not teaching cops or stressing cops on how to take a punch and throw a punch but more compliance holds um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for a number of reasons and I think that that would be a phenomenal tool for law enforcement because it teaches them to gain quick control over the human body without inflicting a lot of damage
1: Absolutely. I think the martial arts is something that police universities around the world, uh, you know, consider a a mandatory skill. I I visited um, Taiwan um, a year and a half ago, and the police university uh, has martial arts from from day one. Um, And, and, you know, I myself, many, many, many years ago, went through, you know, martial arts training, and... (laughs) yeah. Oh, years later, when I look at some of the high-profile arrests that end up, you know, being circulated on the social media, I'm thinking to myself, what they—they they cannot take down the person without using <laughs> a gun, without using a taser. I mean, right? Incomprehensible to me. Incomprehensible.
0: I think there's a lot of things that martial arts tends to build with people, and one of them is, is discipline. It builds that confidence that you were talking about that a lot of cops seem to not have. Right.
1: You know, there was this this uh, there was this movies in the nineteen eighties, uh, the Police Academy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you I, but I use it in my classes because it's true. You can turn a person into a good police officer, into an effective police officer. You just need to invest properly in that person.
0: I think that's one of those themes in that movie that people don't pick up on is is yeah. the transition of. All the comedy is there for a reason, but what they're not picking up is that subtle clink that you're taking these people that you wouldn't think could be a good cop, and at the end of the movies, they're pretty good cops.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but because there's also another aspect there that you know you're taking people, as you said, who don't look like they could be good cops because. We have this misperception of what it takes to be a good cop. You have to be of a certain height, of a certain body build, of you know, a certain age, you have to you have to be able to make push ups, uh, forty five push-ups in a minute, whatever, run a mile in ten minutes. It's nothing to do with being a good cop. Absolutely nothing to do. You and can yeah, train the body yeah, but you have this perception that you have to be Primarily physically fit. But you know, it's not that like police officers are ch- chasing after perps on, di- on foot on a daily basis. I mean, this is policing, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and at the same time, when we emphasize this, then we go into this paradox of after you graduate from the academy, you can balloon to 300 tons. Nobody cares. There is no mandatory physical training right. throughout your career. Some departments will encourage you. Some departments will give you benefits, you know, some sort of a benefit, you know, a membership in a house. But it has to be mandatory because it's not just about your physical fitness. It's about your mental fitness. Right. And that's why I'm looking at, at places like Finland because from day one there a the police university, yoga, meditation. I mean, you know, it's, it's something that police officers normally dismiss oh that's not the image that i want to have right yes you don't want this image because your image is based on what they're showing on television shows that's not real policing agreed (laughs) but you have to socialize future police officers from day one to what's important to be an effective police officer
0: right and i think especially in america there's as you're pointing out the The mentality of some cops is they have to be the best, most physically fit officer, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but that shouldn't be your primary focus.
1: We should all be fit and, you know, and and, and in good physical shape, but more important for policing is your mental shape. You have to be in control of your emotions. You have to be able to deal with stress. You have to be able able to diffuse the stress, not through drinking, not through substance abuse, but through various techniques that they can teach you and should teach you during your your basic. Again, I I want to stay away from academy. I want to move to this university. That's that's police university. That's my goal. That was always my dream, but we're not moving in that direction at all.
0: How long is um, Finland and some of the Nordic academies?
1: It's not an academy. Or sorry, the university. Police three years. Three, three years. years. And and what's interesting, because in Europe, our four-year degree in Europe is a three-year degree. So to get a bachelor degree in Europe takes three years. What what we're doing for? Um, so it's an equivalent of an, an, a bachelor degree. It is a bachelor degree, but it's interesting in Finland because they they don't pay for their higher education. It's free. Not just cops. anybody. So after they go through the three years of, of police university, which they immerse them also in field work. So it's not just sitting in, in, in class. They, they, they take them to the prisons. They take them to the stations. So after they, they get the diploma, then there is a panel of uh, interviewers and they sit with them and they ask them, after what you've experienced during the last three years, knowing what police work entails, do you think you, you can be a police officer? And they give the option to the, the future police officer to say, no, it's not for me. And there are no consequences, again, because the higher education is free. Right. So they don't have to repay anything. And uh, and they just have a degree in police science and don't go into policing. So there's that much investment. But it should be. If you're dealing with human lives, it should be.
0: Agreed. Where, um, and kind of to shift gears a little bit to more issues that we see in, in New Jersey or in America, the notion of of changing what law enforcement is currently, there is a lot of talk of removing qualified immunity. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, including myself and I would suspect, you know, you too, but I'm not going to push you to the corner. When 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 we're driving and we see a police car, you know, behind us, we become nervous, right? Police have tremendous power. (laughs) tremendous power they have more power than the president of the United states <laughs> really you know they can take your freedom right um people have the tendency to resist this power removing qualified immunity will, will create a, an impossible environment for police officers to operate Agreed. qualified immunity is not about shielding corrupted cops qualified immunity is about the nature of police profession that generates a lot of pushback from everybody a lot of complaints Uh, everything is perceived as misconduct any type of use of force is immediately you know hue and cry oh there is an excessive force by the police people feel that they know how police profession is conducted i don't know if anybody would want to become a police officer qualified immunity is removed in this country when we have this tendency to sue everybody
0: and their mother. I agree. And I think if we use qualified immunity the right way, when you have an officer that that clearly violates what qualified immunity is supposed to protect, then that officer needs to be held accountable. I think that's That's one of the big problems in this country is people are not held accountable to their actions.
1: And this is one of the things that, you know, I've been studying police misconduct for over 20 years, but I've been lucky to, to become part of a team uh, headed by the late Carl clockers who was one of the most prolific, uh, maybe not most prolific, but well-known and insightful police scholars of University of Delaware over 20 years ago, and we studied police departments inside out. And, and one of the um, recommendations from this study that was really unprecedented because we we gained access to three major police departments in the United States. They opened everything in front of us for two years. Well, that rules in the organization need to be very clearly disseminated to the members of the organization. And and the chief and the commissioners, this is their responsibility to make sure that the police officers know what's acceptable, what's accepted, what's not, and what are the consequences, right? right? And that's not happening primarily Because of the decentralized nature of law enforcement. If you had one police force per state, you would be able to achieve a much greater degree of transparency and accountability. You cannot do it when you have police departments with the chief and three officers, like you have in New Jersey, right? Of (laughs) course. I remember visiting one of my students once. He was a police officer in Chester, New Jersey, and introduced me to his chief, and there were like five other cops, and this was the entire department.
0: I'm familiar with Chesterfield. Okay. Uh, my, my current town where I live is is literally, I think, six or maybe seven officers total. Okay,
1: so, so this is ridiculous.
0: Right. You will
1: never achieve transparency and accountability when you have that level of decentralization. I, you know, in Bergen County, I used to live in Bergen County, 70 different police departments. In no other country. Puerto not all that
0: country. big. I didn't realize say had that many.
1: Seventy-two separate, independent police departments.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Really. You know, it's 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 unacceptable. It's comical. And and the first time when I came to this country, and again coming from a national police force, and somebody told me about this, first I thought that they were joking. And then when I realized that that's the case, I said, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, "It's a paradise for criminals." Because, there is, I mean, there's no way you can effectively control crime having that level of decentralized law enforcement. No matter how much cooperation and exchange of intel there is, there's no way. Absolutely
0: no. I I agree with that. I think that there's, you know, from my experience and what I know of in New Jersey, you have two methods of getting hired at a police department. You either have the chief's test, which basically that department gets to dictate PT standards and yeah. there's a, you know there is a standardized test so to speak, and then there's the interviews and then there's the um, c- uh, civil service test, mm-hmm. and I think both have some positives, but both have some negatives. I think one of the big problems with the civil service test is you're ranked on a test and you have to hire off of that list, and there like as you're talking there are some people that just can't meet even the, the most basic standards of what it is to be in law enforcement. And I'm, I'm a big fan of standards. I think that especially in law enforcement, firefighting, things like that, you shouldn't be lowering standards to make it easier for people to get in. If anything, they should be maybe a little more rigid. Um, how do you think that we can... How do you, I guess, equate to what is a good standard, at least for law enforcement?
1: In terms of recruitment? Yeah. Well, again, I, I would start... Recruiting people at the age of 25. I wouldn't even look below that. That's not a profession that you should allow people to to, to be part of when they're emotionally immature. I mean some of us mature earlier than others, granted, but that's uh, there's enough research showing that we mature emotionally, psychologically, until our late 20s, so let's compromise and start at 25. Um, and, and then I, I start looking at that, of course, the criminal background to me is is uh, is something very important. Somebody who has the criminal record, I don't care if it's a misdemeanor, <laughs> I mean, that's, they don't belong on the job. I mean, they show that they violated the law, and I am a big believer, you know, in second chances, but not in certain professions. You don't belong on the job if you have a criminal record. I'm sorry.
0: I hardly agree.
1: Uh you know, uh, the best predictor of future behavior, past behavior. That's a trivial, you know, saying in psychology, but it proves unfortunately it proves to be very correct and right. And then, you know, um, I would put I, I would spend less time uh, on physical agility standards and more on conversations and not necessarily some aptitude tests. Aptitude tests, you know, some people are just better than others. Um, I I I would have a lot of conversations, in-person conversations with the individuals who want to be police officers and not guided by necessarily, the, again, the standard aptitude test, but real-life scenarios and, 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 and video clips and, and stuff that put people under, under artificial pressure, but still under pressure. And then you can observe them, how they behave, how they react. Uh, Sort of like a CPX exercise from the military. In the military, they they, they have this this type of exercise that they put uh, commanding officers in a room and introduce new... Uh, stressful situations to them, and then and, and see over the time how they react. So it's not an hour interview, it's it's a, right. it's a it's a long stress. But this is what policing is all about. It's not about cookie cutter response to a situation. Oh, you are here, and this is what's happening, and tell me how would you react. It never happens like this. <laughs> never. There's always something out there. So, You have to invest in in recruitment and people will tell me, okay, it costs a lot of money and I would always say, I'd rather have less cops and better cops than more cops and cops who are damaging the profession.
0: Agreed. I mean, there are definitely bad cops. There are people that should not have been able to be admitted to the academy.
1: Like Um, any profession. I mean, it's not unique to policing. There are tons of uh, teachers who should not be teachers (laughs) and yet there are teachers. But but, but we're talking about professions that has a tremendous power, more than teachers, more than another profession, and and we, we we should be handpicking each and every police officer. Should not be some standardized test.
0: One of the other big talking points is defunding police. I'm I'm of the position that that's a, a completely horrific idea because people just, as you said, don't understand what the profession is and what it takes. I think if anything we should be funding police officers more and focusing more on training as you were talking about. I think a lot of municipalities at least in New Jersey see law enforcement as nothing more than a line item and mm-hmm. try and give them as little of a budget as possible and they don't understand what the problems that that's going to create. You
1: know, it's it's first of all it's not just horrific it's it's just <laughs> It's just so misguided, so misinformed is this whole call for this entire call for defunding of the police. 85, 90 percent of any police budget goes to salaries, right? So what's left? It's, it's 10%, 15% divided by equipment and training. So whenever there is a defunding, the first thing that will go is training. And this is trying to fix a profession by giving it less resources. It's not just an absurd; it's an oxymoron. I mean, if you if you compare it to another industry, right? We the, the, we heard a lot in the last few uh, months about the Boeing seven three seven, the Max, right? That was that, that there was some def- deficiency there in the process of manufacturing the the Boeing, and now that they're, they're testing it. So, so can you imagine if Boeing would say, okay, um? We're not going to try to find what's wrong with it. We're just going to cut costs, and you know, and 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 put another airplane out there without investing in, in trying to to find out how to fix it, <laughs> and let it fly and crash. Same here with policing. Oh, it's not good. Let let's take money away from them. They will be better. I, I, whoever, you know, people come up with the slogan. Social media pick up the slogan. Politicians. To, to, to social media, and, and next thing we know, it's another disaster. It's a disaster, It's not horrific. It's a disaster. Um, I don't know of any police department that has this layer of fat, right, that they're talking about that they can right. cut and have a better and have a better police.
0: So you said that you would prefer law enforcement officers not start until you know, mid twenties. Right. Law enforcement, by and large. The quote-unquote street cop—it's not a profession for people of advanced age in their late thirties and forties. How does uh, or how do countries like Finland and some of the Norwegian countries deal with their their cops because the older cops? And I guess my question is: is you know, New Jersey—you have to be an officer for twenty-five to thirty years before you can get your pension. Yeah. By the time you're it. At the top of that, you're typically you know, a sergeant. There's very few patrolmen that have gone through the whole career and stayed that. But you're at, your, your body does start breaking down at, at a certain age, and you're not able to kind of keep up with the younger ages. So if you're pushing back the hiring time by about five years, you're also putting back your retirement age by four, uh, five years.
1: Yeah. But it's not. It, it, it's it's really not significant, and that line. because again, it has to do with with centralized nature of policing, right? Not everybody has to police the street for thirty years. I mean, people move. There's a mobility. When you have a national police force or a police force, one police force per for state, then you are able to rock, to move people. Along the you know responsibilities in the police department, so you police for you patrol the streets for five, ten years, and then you move not necessarily to be a field supervisor, but you move you know to to become a detective, or do you you move to 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 other branches of a police organ police any police organization that has thousands upon thousands of officers. Like if we had had this this type of approach, are... Hundreds of units that, that 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 have nothing to do with with the street uh, patrolling, you know. So so you can work in the lab, you can work in the in records, you can work in juvenile, you can missing person, organized crime, white collar crime, everything that police organizations are charged with. There is room for older people. So to
0: speak. I I wanted to get your insight on that because I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think when you have you look at you know New Jersey State Police for example. Once you're on the street, I think it's for three or five years. You can kind of start going to specialized branches, and and that's where the experience comes into play in those leadership roles.
1: And I I always say you need to you need to walk the streets to understand what policing is, but you don't need to walk the street for your entire career. <laughs> <laughs> After five years, you can move. You you have enough experience to understand how things work, and there are tons of other You know, we are moving. Um, we are more and more uh, technologically. Um, dependent, and and it includes crimes that are penetrated through virtual world. So we need more people who specialize in cybercrime, right? There are so many things that are done now virtually in police organizations uh, that truly, with proper recruitment, uh, in the sense that, you know, every few years you do have this influx of thousands of new patrol officers, You will always be able to control for the number of officers who are younger vis-à-vis the ones who are older and moving to specialized units. And it would be great for the morale of police officers, because they they won't have to wait for somebody to drop dead to become a sergeant or lieutenant, like in many police departments around the country where they have this 10 or 15 or 20 police force and you know, there's only one lieutenant or two sergeants, and how do I get promoted? Right. There are so many benefits to centralized nature of policing, both for the public and for the police officers themselves.
0: I think you're right, especially on a on a transparency level. When you have less filters, so to speak, of and chain, a smaller chain of command, so for a lack of better term, your transparency and, and issue.
1: Of course, if you have you have five officers and one of them is involved in some sort of misconduct and then you're thinking, oh, and now uh, the budget is frozen. If I'm going to get rid of this one officer, I'm not going to get a replacement. So, so my force goes down to four. So I'm going to look the other way on this violation if it's not very egregious, right? Yeah, but, right? But still, you should not be looking the other way because if you look the other way on this one, then it will lead to another one and then it will be a little bit too late.
0: I, I agree with that. I think one of the other problems that's kind of filtered out and become more prevalent over the last usually uh, 20 years or so is the mentality that certain supervisors have that if an officer under their command does something wrong, rather than address it and hold that officer accountable, they feel that it's going to be a poor reflection on them and their leadership, and they'll sweep it under the rug or, as you said, you know, look away. I think law enforcement leaders need to hold their officers accountable, regardless of how minor the infraction is. If it's an infraction, it needs to be addressed.
1: You know, not, a, not everybody has it in them to, to be a leader, right? In the sense of of, of um, the requirements of the position. I said before, every police officer is a leader on the street, but when I'm talking about leadership in police organization, when it comes to ranks, not everybody's... Able to, to look at their body <laughs> and say, okay, now you are going to pay for whatever infraction you engage in, whether it's going to be the days off or demotion or any other type of discipline. People, you know, it, it's a hard job, and you lose friends and and, and you you lose the, the the part of policing that is is very attractive to too many people, this this type of you know. I have your back,
0: right, right. Uh,
1: environment, and then I can count on you, yes, you lose it as a supervisor,
0: but you know, the, I think the there's are a, there's a difference between having someone's back when they're doing everything right and having their back so to speak, to protect them when they do something wrong there, there's and and that's the difference that we need to kind of show is not the right difference to have. You want somebody to feel comfortable that if if stuff hits the fan that you have their back, that you're gonna act responsibly and, and appropriately with them and support them and, and back them up the way that they wanna be backed up. But the same token, if they screw up, they need to know they're gonna be held accountable.
1: Of course. And and again, but there there are different types of screw ups, so to speak. Right? It's one thing to fall asleep in your patrol car, right? Because you're tired. It's another when you and you steal a watch from a crime scene. Absolutely. <laughs> So, so there are very clear lines of what can be dealt, uh, you know, sort of informally, maybe verbal discipline and, 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 and other things that that's it. You're, you're losing your job right now, but it has no second chance on that. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's the job of, of of the chief and it's the job of the commissioner, it's the job of the superintendent, however they call themselves in different departments, which is another story. <laughs> that we have different ranks. And, but, um, but again, the same way that, that, that we allow certain people who should not be police officers become police officers, then they become sergeants, first-line supervisors, you know, then become chiefs. And they're the wrong chiefs, right? And they're the wrong chiefs. Like I always say, the chief in um, Ferguson had no business of being a chief of police the the decisions that he made of rolling out the the military-grade equipment and stuff like that. Overreacted completely. Um, But we have so many chiefs. So we have 500 chiefs in in New Jersey. Right.
0: 500
1: police
0: chiefs? I I, I think... uh... Since you brought it up, what is your, your position on, I guess, the, the militarization of the police department? I think there are certain components and certain um, equipment that officers and law enforcement uses that have military purposes that are useful, mm-hmm. but I think there's also you know, some things that are a little unnecessary, some of the, the more extreme vehicles and things like I, that. Know,
1: I, I've watched this for, for, for quite a few years with trepidation because uh, I am all for uh, equipping police departments with high-tech gear in case of active shooter in case of any type of you know emergency situation they cannot be outgunned by the local gangs they cannot unacceptable but at the same time, you know I had this experience in when, when I mentioned the three departments that I studied as part of the Integrity research. One of them was Charleston, South Carolina. So, the first thing when I saw when I arrived at the headquarters in Charleston was a big tank in front of the headquarters. And I asked the chief, Why do you need a tank? And he said, You know, you never know. And I said, No, I do know. You don't need a, a tank. As a, as a, I
0: mean, unless they're bordering Fort, uh, what is it, Fort Bragg? I think it's South Carolina. Yeah, I don't see the need of of it's a rogue no, tank.
1: Citadel, yeah. <laughs> no, no, they don't. And you know, for him it was sort of like a, a joke, but for me it wasn't. Because over the years I've heard the various police departments getting pieces of equipment that, to me, should never be part of a police force in a democratic country, like the sonic devices, right, that are used to disperse crowds. No, that's not to be used against civilian population. That's not the type of device that police department should have. They should be able to get more training in crowd control. Uh, There are countries that are leaders in this. Holland is one of them. A good friend of mine needs the Research unit at the Dutch Police Academy, all they do is study crowd control because they have many issues over the years controlling soccer hooligans. <laughs> so they become very good at this in controlling crowds. But no tanks, no sonic devices, um, you know, there, there, there are lessons to be learned from around the world. Yet we we have the tendency to say, okay, we, we get you know it's, it's they said every cop knows this thing. it's it's for, if it's free it's for me right so 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 these departments are getting this equipment for free, okay, store it, but have an, an SOP that clearly identifies its use when and where you can use it and against whom if we're overtaken by some you know outfit of a low, homegrown Al Qaeda. Okay, use this. But right. if you're going to disperse a civil dissent, no, you're not going
0: to. Looking at, I guess, the, the crowd's control methods that some law enforcement are using, um, from my perspective, it's it's some of it is not being employed appropriately, um, which may very well be lack of training. There's also the thought that a lot of people seem to have that when they see officers responding to a large crowd in riot gear, that it's an immediate escalation. Do you agree with that?
1: No, it doesn't have to be an immediate escalation because it has to do, again, with uh, how much work it's, it's, it's put up front about this, how much work is out there on the part of the police department. I do feel that it's the police department's job to. To communicate with the with the public in terms of explaining what will happen if this and this is going to happen, I, I called it in in my book um, on training. I called it open communication policing. You do need; it's not community policing. It's something very different. You have to go and make sure that that you meet with various um, uh, stakeholders in the community and explain to them how compliance is achieved. People don't understand what it means to achieve compliance. It's not easy. Police uh, officers out, outnumbered any given situation. One police officer can face anywhere from hundreds to thousands of people. And, and how do you achieve compliance? And it's a lot of legwork in terms of explaining to the public how you achieve compliance. It's an educational part of police work. You cannot be steep in secrecy of how you do things and why you do things. Right. You have to explain, you have to explain. The, and, and also, you know, I, I don't think any police officer is paid enough to be assaulted physically, verbally. Uh, police officers have the right to, to, to be in riot gear when, when when they face thousands of people. That's,
0: I think there's the, this mentality. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. I, I think there's a lot of misplaced anger towards law enforcement. I think people see, have this disdain for law enforcement when the cops are really the tools to enforce the laws yeah. and the anger should really be directed towards the people that have the power to change the laws.
1: Absolutely. I think I, I always had this sort of conspiracy theory. It's it's so funny because it's, it transcends the the jurisdictions and continents. I attended the conference over 20 years ago in Europe and I spoke to the head of training of the Polish police and we sort of started talking about how the Polish police is trained because they were were going through the transformation from militia to democratic policing. And and at a certain point, we arrived at this, I I said to him, you know, I have this conspiracy theory. And he said to me, I have a conspiracy theory too. I said, okay, so let's compare the notes. What are the conspiracy theories? And and, and we arrived at the same conclusion that politicians really um, are not interested in having professional effective police forces because whenever something is happening that's really the fault of the local politician, the easiest way to deflect the blame is to push it at ineffective police force, right? So, so all these issues that we're having now in this country are the blame of the police? Oh, no. <laughs> these are issues that the politicians mishandled for decades, Right. whether it's the issues of racism, whether it's the issue of uneven education, economic issues, health issues, the police have nothing to do with it. The politicians have on both sides. Yet the easiest thing right now is to throw all the police departments up there, you know, let's reform them. No, let's reform yourself, you know, first, before you talk about policing. (laughs) But for people, you know, they cannot touch... High ranking politicians don't see them, they don't feel them, but they do see the cops on the street. So, the first thing, where do you how do you release, release your anger? Please, is this damn of the government so they can physically release this anger at them and they don't think that they're just pawns. exactly who they are.
0: Yeah, I, I think that politicians, by and large, uh, are a very big part of the problem in the fact that a lot of politicians typically use some very divisive rhetoric. They, no, they word their, wield their words very carefully to deflect and, and project things that really are causing problems for other people.
1: And this personal. is a, a reflection of their ineptness of their inability to handle problems. And certain problems are, you know, cannot be handled. But, uh, uh, but it's easier to to throw the blame at somebody else than to admit I cannot I cannot solve this problem. Right. It's larger than me, right?
0: I, mean, I always
1: I always say I'm yet to see a leader who is really going to say I cannot solve this. Everybody has a solution, right? When you right. listen to the political debates, oh, they all have solutions. And then fast forward four years when we're going into next elections, there'll be the same problems. Exactly, and we're going to see that the solutions were not there.
0: I think. Th- Especially in America, and, and there's the mentality that everybody is pointing out a problem, but nobody wants to point out a solution or at least a viable solution.
1: And- no, solutions they have, that the solutions that make no sense, right? Are they throwing out, let's defund the police or let's reform the police? I mean, it's, it's, without any knowledge. I always say, you know, policing is one. It's a profession, right? I mentioned it many times during our conversation, and I I will continue to mention it. You cannot allow people who don't understand the profession to reform it. You cannot not bring people who study profession for decades, like myself, like my colleagues, to be part of the solution. You cannot listen to the mob. About the solution, and that's what's happening. That the funding of policing didn't come from scholars, didn't come from the academy, came from the mob.
0: Out of out of large part of ignorance. Um, yeah. In, yeah in your ideal method, how who should be involved in in reforming things? I mean, you you do want some people like your posi- like you in your position, who have been researching this and and the varying methods of law enforcement. To be part of that solution, or at least to build Absolutely. that solution.
1: Absolutely. I mean I don't think that that researchers legitimate and I'm saying legitimate researchers, it's important for me to to um to emphasize this because some people like to jump on the opportunity to to become relevant, right? So suddenly I get all these <laughs> questions from various scholars from Ivy League institutions, suddenly they're interested in police training. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, I've been interested in police training for the last 30 years. Where were you? What what were you studying back then? So suddenly they want to run various, you know, surveys, and you don't belong in this part of reimagining policing environment. Just because you're part of an Ivy League school doesn't make you relevant because you've not done nothing so far. But there are enough of us, you know? Criminal justice as a profession had a tremendous growth in the last two decades. So there are many, many scholars who maybe didn't necessarily study police training or recruitment like myself, but they studied police as an organization and institutions of criminal justice. In each and every state, you can find many of us who should be not just a part of of this re-envisioning, but but, uh, we should be leading this. We should be leading this. And and that's not happening. It's not
0: happening. I think part of that's because there is this mentality in law enforcement that, you know, they are, when they walk into the room, they should be the absolute authority. And that's, that's not, there, there's some credibility to that because you need to be able to take control of a situation. But at the same time, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, there's a way of effectively communicating that without escalating issues.
1: Yeah. But, but it's not about excluding practitioners. That's the last thing I'm saying. Practitioners must be part of it, but not necessarily in the leading role because Sometimes when you're part of something, you really don't see everything that needs to be seen. I mean, I always say this is not a joke, but this is a real experience of mine. Many years ago, I had a supervisor, and he was really not very bright But when I was on the job. But his argument always was, when I would ask him, why does he think that this is the way to go? He would say, I know, because I've been on the job for 30 years. And I was smart enough not to say to him what I said to myself in my thoughts. But I always, when he would, he would use this argument, I would always say, well, for 30 years, you didn't know what you were doing, right? <laughs> so this is, in every profession, you have the supervisor who will say, I know, because I've been doing it for 30 years. No.
0: Well, it, doing
1: something doesn't make an expert.
0: Time served doesn't give you the, the expertise and nuance. Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely And not. I
0: think that, you know, as you pointed out, that that's in any field. There's There's... And many people who have been in positions of supervisory uh, status and, and have built their ways of doing things that could be woefully incorrect, but if you can't articulate why something is the right way to do it other than saying, well, that's the way we've been doing it and that's the way I've been doing it for years, then you shouldn't be in that position. You should be able to articulate your position as to why it's the right way to do something. And you should also be uh, willing to listen to other ideas of of what might be a better way to do it.
1: Right. But you know, it's this 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 various committees and commissions and and think tanks that are now uh, recruited to reform police um, as a professional, not necessarily driven by practitioners. They, again, this again, we have the same politicians who are picking up individuals to head these commissions and to start these commissions of these committees. Uh, you know, like government Cuomo decided that each and every police in New York State will have to come up with a plan by next year, how they're changing their policing, and if not, they're not going to be funded. I don't understand how you can create an environment like this to tell 600 police departments, now come up with a plan. So so you're going to look at 600 different plans? Again, you're further decentralizing the change, right? <laughs> You're not mandated that each, at least each one of the jurisdictions may be divided to jurisdictions, maybe mandate a, a, an academic that will be part of this? No, come up with a plan. I mean, I just don't understand this. When people tell me, no, I'm not political. Oh, yes, you are. If you are mandated things like this without understanding, it's almost like telling every jurisdiction, come up with a cure for COVID-19 now. You don't have to involve uh, medical doctors. You think we would be moving anywhere in the direction of cure? And again, um, nobody stands up. That's another problem with American policing. The chiefs, the commissioners, they don't have a backbone. They don't push back. They don't say, no, that's wrong.
0: And if you do are the ones that are retired, and I think again that that falls back yeah, the Yeah, but that's not right. relevant. That's not right?
1: relevant. If he, if a police chief is told by a mayor, do this and that and, and, and the police chief says okay, then
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that and part of that's I think the structure, you know, the chiefs report to the the mayor. I mean, they they basically serve at the behest of that's the right. mayors in many places right. and okay. The last thing you want to do is is go against the mayor because then they're going to be out of the job.
1: Of course, but you know, at a, at a certain point in your life, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if if it was worth it. You know, how how to what at which point you say enough is enough. We had a patrol chief here in New York uh, who decided to retire, even though the chief of patrol. Uh, You know, retired at a very young age, relatively speaking, to the organization. He had very bright career because he decided. And again, have not spoken to him, but this is what was reported: that enough is enough. Right? But of course, enough is enough means the end of his career. Which
0: Which is is sad sad. because you know he probably had some good ideas of what could fix some of the issues and
1: felt that he wasn't being listened to. Could have been the next commissioner. Definitely, it's not going to be. But. uh, and again, you know, if medical doctors' careers were driven by, you know, the head of a hospital, which they are to a certain degree, but still, if you're if you're a bright and, and shining star in your medical profession, you're not going to be dismissed that easily. Right. As if you're a bright and shining star in police organization. Overnight, over a bit of a second.
0: I think one of the problems within law enforcement is, like you said, the, the lack of, of standing up when things are being done incorrectly or, yeah. you know, the yeah. mayor wants to impose a, a certain restriction or something or, or a policy that just goes against common sense or... or. The... No,
1: look what happened in New York with the disbanded, the serious crime unit. And next thing you know, that everybody's shooting at everybody, Wild West. I mean, it was clear that this is going to be the result. Right. But yet, there was no pushback from the department, and, and now the crime is shooting, you know, every direction, and, and, and
0: there's no
1: alternative.
0: It's in a it's, lot of the big metropolitan places. I mean, Chicago has been historically having issues with that. And,
1: same thing, Chicago, Los Angeles now. Any major metropolitan area in United States has gang problem, drug problem. Legit, as I call it, legitimate violence problems. This is not some misunderstanding between two neighbors or so right. legitimate violent problems. They are not going to be cured by social workers. You need tactical response, and you cannot be, you know, you cannot allow the community to 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 write your patrol guide. It doesn't work. Like
0: that. I agree with that I'm I'm all for having some insight from the community that that kind of goes back down to the involving the community and community policing, but their opinions shouldn't be the immediate solution or the top solution to be employed. You need, like you said, to have a a committee of of people that are truly invested in in creating a cohesive positive solution, a, a workable solution and not one that's influenced by a political ideology or
1: from a place of ignorance or anger a lot of this is influenced by anger that is misplaced anger you mentioned it and no profession should be driven by anger by misplaced anger
0: i think we're we're encroaching up on that that hour um i greatly appreciate your time and the conversation we've had is there anything that you have coming out soon anything you want to plug
1: well, I have a new book coming out with Mike uh, author Mike Murray. I, I'm actually, he's like 90% of this book, and I'm like 10%. It's about use of force, so the use of uh, realistic scenarios, training, uh, something that uh, I think um, any police department that uh, is not going to look at the recruitment and standard that I mentioned before, but just at the training, I think they should should be looking at. Um, because it does uh, involve a lot of this emotional and social intelligence type of approach to use of force. And uh, every police department now is emphasizing more, you know, the diversity training and the escalation And it's all there. It's all there. It's all there in the scenarios that you can build that reflect the particular environment in which you police, you know, different in Alaska than it is in New Jersey, right? right. But at the same time takes into consideration the, the input of of, of of the officers themselves, the debriefing part at least, which is very important because it's not just about the external factors, but also the individual response of the officer. So so I think that if you want to do minimum, at least look at our book.
0: Is that out or is that to be it out like next month. Next month. Next month. Well, I will definitely make sure that I push that out there so people know and can pick that up and read it. Um again, I greatly appreciate your time and um have a good day and stay healthy. You too.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at adincontext.com also support our show via our Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.